Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we're reading Matthew 25, 1-13, the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids who go out to meet the bridegroom but fall asleep when he is delayed. The five wise bridesmaids have enough oil to make it back to the wedding, five foolish ones neglect to bring extra oil and so are shut outside. Once again, this parable warns us that the kingdom of heaven will be delayed and then come all at once, so we must always be prepared. We wrestle with the individuality of this parable. Why can't the five prepared bridesmaids just share their lamps with the unprepared ones? But ultimately, we conclude that there are some things we just have to do for ourselves, and keeping oil in our metaphorical lamps is one of them. Like it or not, No one can live a righteous life for us. It's up to us to be prepared. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, how are you this week? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Also good. I'm also good. Bobby, I have a scary and interesting story. Well, Maybe it's interesting and scary. I don't know. I don't know the adjectives to use. I'm, I don't know what to do with, with this story. So I'm going to tell it to you. <laughs> okay. So I think you know, I don't remember if I mentioned the podcast, we have this gigantic Japanese magnolia tree in our front yard that just has like the most exquisite blooms and um, mm. in, in earliest spring and there's like a swing underneath it and you can, it's just the most exquisite oh, tree. Wow. And my daughter, when she was two years old, started calling it the God tree. And I was like, you're right. I don't even know what you mean by that, but that is correct. That is the God tree. Hmm. And (laughs) we just try to, you know, take our lessons. And every year we have a a God tree blooming party that we can't schedule. It's just whatever weekend the tree is in full bloom. We invite people to come over and like sit under the tree and climb the tree and like whatever. Like this tree is important to us. Okay. That's part one of the story. Part two, the county I live in is just a mess. And they (laughs) they have um, county sewer pipes under our yard that they had to get to. And so they tore our yard up just like nobody's business over two months ago Mm. now. Oh, no. And they were able to repair what they wanted to with the sewer pipes. And they said, we'll come back to fix all these problems we caused and then they never came back. Don't worry. Yeah, and of course, we haven't seen them. <laughs> Thanks, county. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. This could be any county anywhere in the United yeah. States. They, like, cracked the driveway. Like, whatever. And they're going to—I believe they will fix it, maybe naively, but they haven't been back. So our yard looks like a disaster. As part of this, when they were, like, driving their little trucky thing around our yard, they knocked a big branch off the God tree. Oh, no. Which is terrible. And it happened. The tree is okay. The tree is huge. So it is terrible to lose a branch, and the tree is not in danger for having lost. But it's a big branch. 
We um, are maybe stubborn or maybe smart, but we refuse to clean up any of the mess the county has made. Because if we clean it up, then we have, like, they are responsible for this mess. Yes. They said they're going to take care of it. And so we are waiting till they take care of it. So this branch has been laying on the ground. We dragged it across the yard so it's sort of somewhere else. But um, been laying on the ground for over two months. The God tree is blooming now. It's like blooming time of year. Yeah. Bobby, the branch is blooming. <laughs> what? The branch, it's, it's been the on the ground for two that months. has been off the tree for over two months. I just almost used some profanity and had to stop myself. <laughs> it, it's blooming. It's not like one flower. Like the branch yeah. is blooming, laying on the ground wow. on the other side of the yard. The branch is freaking blooming. Because like two months it's ago, blooming. it was like the middle of winter. So this thing fell off the tree in the middle of the winter. Yes. Although, I mean, okay, I live in Atlanta and these trees get a little confused about whether there were buds on the branch when it fell, but nothing near blooming. That is amazing. So the God tree branch is blooming on the ground. It's blooming on the ground. After having been detached from the tree for for two months. months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. I'm, I... I have not. I'm sure some biologist somewhere, some like biologist somewhere is like, here's the explanation for that. I know. For me, I'm like, ooh, there's a there's a theological message in there, Amy. I love it. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It is inspiring and terrifying, and I don't I don't know what to think about it. It's beautiful. I mean, I drive by it every day. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Dismembered what? hand moving around across the yard. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, did you watch? Have you watched Wednesday? <laughs> it's totally so like the Wen- Yes, it's the Wednesday Adams branch. Yeah, uh-huh. I was not going to go to Wednesday Adams. I was going to go to uh, Isaiah Seven, the stump of Jesse, and the like, <laughs> the, the shoots coming out from the tree that has been chopped down. Well, it's down. one of those. Okay, it's either yeah. Isaiah or it is a dismembered hand. <laughs> one of those two. In the Christian world, we're in the middle of Lent and we're headed toward Easter. And so there's a beautiful parable there about the thing which appears to be dead, in fact, is leading to new life. Is a zombie. (laughs) No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It is, it is, again, like it's beautiful Beautiful and inspiring and and scary. And I don't understand the rules by which we are playing right now. But um, I'll send you, I mean, I will send you pictures. This thing is blooming. I feel like you shouldn't throw that branch away. I feel like you should I know, invite people I know. to come. My husband said someone's going to come branch. by to cut it up on, cut it up at the beginning of the week next week. And I'm like, I don't think, maybe we shouldn't do that. You should charge admission. <laughs> like just do a big thing where you're like, look at this miracle tree. Yeah. Super weird. Yeah. That's good, Bobby. Let's capitalize on this. We'll turn it into <laughs> a carnival. Oh, I'm such a terrible person. I am, I am living the life of the empire. Like how can I make money off of See this? See what a slippery slope it is? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, the empire's deep in me. We could make money. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are in Matthew 25, 1 to 13, which is the parable of the bridesmaids. We are also in the Christian calendar, anyway, making our way through Lent. And so we continue on. I don't, I'm not even sure what week we're in anymore, but we're, we're in there somewhere. (laughs) We're in there. Yeah. So last week we were just in another parable about a wedding. Yeah. In chapter 22, and now we're mm-hmm. continuing the sort of theme of parables and weddings and kingdom of heaven. Is anything, I mean, the stuff happens, obviously, <laughs> between 22 and 24. 
I don't know. I'm sort of operating on the the assumption that these parables kind of stand by themselves without worrying about the context too much. But is there anything mm-hmm. that you think we need to know in order to make sense of this parable? The only things that I will that I will say that I noticed in sort of a you know a relatively quick read of the chapters in between. One is that you know we're always trying to try to have a sense of who's the immediate audience for yes. this, and I think when we read together last time it was religious authorities, Yes. right? And so since then, Jesus has left the temple, and I think it says he's at Mount of Olives, and he speaks, he's speaking, his disciples to come to him privately yes. in chapter 24. Yes. So as far as I can tell, that's the current audience. Yes, I, I think that's right. And that is like the question that they ask there is, tell us when will these things happen? What yeah. will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And yeah. so then we've get, got this long series of parables that seem to be, you know, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven as a present reality and also mm-hmm. as a future fulfillment mm-hmm. or something like that. And these parables, I think, are still straddling that line, but they're sort of leaning forward toward the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. Whereas maybe earlier in the gospel, we've been thinking more about how do we live the kingdom of heaven in the here and now or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, the the text right before this is like pretty, what I would say, like apocalyptic, pretty like there's going to be an abrupt change and you're not going to know when it is. Just like right before the flood in the time of Noah, people were just living their regular old lives. And then all of a sudden, the end. That story yeah. is over, which is actually a lot what life is like, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. No, I unless, mean, like, they, you, don't, you don't know tree. when things are going to happen. Things happen. And yeah. I mean, that's a pretty big thing. But <laughs> that's the the big message that I draw from the text immediately beforehand is that, like, something big is going to happen and you, you really are not going to know when. Yeah. You're not going to know when. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Yeah. But then I want to connect to the magnolia tree. It's <laughs> like that magnolia tree didn't know. The God tree did not know. It was going to have a branch knocked off. And then suddenly it lost a branch. It didn't know, nor did it care because it, it continued to bloom. I know. And so this thing that seemed like such a tragedy and the end of a thing, it's just life just continued on in the midst of the struggle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly That's the same. a much more comforting <laughs> than, than, than yeah. some of these apocalyptic apocalyptic scenarios yes yes okay so on that note shall we shall we dive into the parable yeah let's do it i love weddings let's have (laughs) another wedding we just talked about a wedding last time let's have another wedding we've been struggling a little bit on the podcast the last couple weeks with like you know our format is like let's read in little chunks and then talk about the chunk and some of these parables i think kind of make more sense if you just read them all the way through yeah and so we've been arbitrarily chunking some parables. And so I'm going to arbitrarily chunk this parable also. You shall today. not know where the chunk will happen. <laughs> At any moment, I might end and ask you a question. It could just happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Wonderful. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read some subsection of that, and I'm in the Common English Bible. Mm-hmm. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like Oh, that's different. I just don't notice that. It says at that time, yeah. it will be like, whereas before it has been saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Yeah. You did not know I was going to end right there. I ended after the first <laughs> half of the <laughs> You're like, there are three words. 
chunk number one. I did not know I was going to end right there either. You know, it's funny. I noticed that my translation starts with then. I didn't notice the future tense, but I was like, what do you mean then? Like, why are we placing this in time now? But you're right. It is now. Yeah. Right. So this is about the fulfillment of the kingdom. Yes. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now, five of them are wise and the other five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps, but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry. Look, the groom, come out to meet him. Okay, so I've been to some weddings. They did not involve me going out into the, into the world with a lamp to meet the anybody. And so I'm just like, I need a little yeah. contextualizing to sort of understand what's what's even happening at all. Can you get us started on that at all? Uh-huh. I don't know if I, I mean, here, I meet your question with a question, Bobby. The Greek says virgins. Yes. So do we, are these, are these, do you imagine here that we're talking about women who are, who are present at the wedding, but not getting married and just sort of like rejoicing? Or do they have a, like when you say bridesmaid to like a woman in, in my place in the world, it ha- that's a specific job. Right. Like there are duties that come with being a bridesmaid. And I don't know if, if there's a duty associated with this other than being a happy wedding guest. <laughs> no, that's a good question. Yeah, the Greek there, parthenois, which can mean virgin. It can also just mean sort of like a young woman of marriageable mm, age. That's helpful. And so I have read them as sort of the friends of the couple and mm-hmm. that their job is basically to be there and rejoice. But apparently also maybe to go out and meet the bridegroom and come back to the house. Like they seem to have some sort of function there. Like we're not just waiting around at the house for the party to start, but we've got to go out and meet them and bring them back. Uh, But that's, I don't actually know that much about first century bridesmaiding. I don't either. Like I don't, I could certainly see what you're describing that like part of their role is to meet the groom and bring him, you know, escort him to the party. I could also see the possibility that it's just like this sort of, I don't know, exuberance almost like you can't contain your joy Mm. to just sit in your chair and wait that you, you know, you want to go out and greet this honored. Yeah. You know, like really like a king for a day. The bridegroom is the king for the day. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if it was an official capacity or not, but yeah, that seems, seems to be what they're doing. They are escorting, escorting this most honored person into the, into the wedding. I think that's right. And, you know, now that you're talking about this and I'm, I'm totally being anachronistic here, which is, you know, my no, way. It's what we got though. <laughs> uh, but like thinking of weddings that I was in when I was younger and was in weddings and, you know, the, like at the reception, say when you're introducing the couple, it wasn't just like the couple just like walks in the door and you're, everybody's like, Oh, Hey, there's the couple. It was like, mm-hmm. they announced the wedding party and like every, we all come in and then the couple's like bringing up the tail. And so there's like a, a ritual of a formality that goes with it where they, they, there is a role to play just by coming into the party with the couple. 
Yeah. And so uh, maybe that kind of makes sense here. So they've gone out so that they can escort the couple back in or the bride. I mean, we need to talk a little bit about that too. Like who exactly is being escorted from where. Right. And they're just escorting the groom, right? Well, so, I mean, I think this is a question. So it's a, it does say, look, the groom come out to meet him. I'm just trying to think through like in first century Jewish practice yeah. Right. So there is a, um, we talked way back in the, I mean, I think it was the first Matthew podcast, maybe the way back at Christmas time. And we talked about the betrothal and the wedding and the stages mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a stage where you're betrothed, but then the groom and the bride continue to live in their own households for some period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. And then when the wedding happens, then that's when they're joining their households together. And yeah. so to me, that's what's, that's this moment, right? They've been committed to one another for some time, but they've been continuing to live in their own places. And this is the joining of the houses. Mm-hmm. What I'm less clear about is whether what's happening here is that the groom is coming to the bride's house, like the father of the bride's house, and they're going to have the party there. Mm-hmm. And so these are the bride's sort of attendants who've come out to meet the groom. That makes sense to me or whether the groom has gone to the bride's house to finish negotiations with the father and then is bringing the bride back to his house. And so these are the groom's relatives or groom's friends or something. You seemed more, you seemed more persuaded. Your face seemed more persuaded by the first of those, that the groom is now coming. No, I realize as you're talking that I, okay, so they're going directly in, they're going into a, a wedding, like, now, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I get, I mean, I don't know. Again, like, this, even even knowing what I know of sort of what a traditional Jewish wedding looks like now, I really, I don't know what it was like in the first century. But there is also often a period of separation immediately before, like, for a period of time before the wedding. Right. To, I mean, really just to sort of, like, heighten the right. anticipation of the height and the joy of the day. So I guess I'm picturing that at this point, they're ready for the celeb. They're ready to actually like, you know, make their covenant and become wedded people, become a married couple. And that wherever the bride's maids are bringing the bridegroom is where the bride. I see. Oh, that makes a lot of sense him. to me. Yeah. Like, I don't know that we need to know exactly. We just need to have some sort of framework for understanding. And that to me is a great framework. So then what's happened is the bridegroom has been in his place. The bride has been in her place and the bride, the bridegroom is coming to the wedding. And these are her attendants that have come out to meet him along the way and bring him back where she is for the wedding. I think that's what I'm picturing. So we've got 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins or 10 young women who take their lamps and go out to meet the groom. So the image there seems to be like we're in the evening or mm-hmm. like what, is that why they have lamps? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It must be that. Yeah. It must be that it's in the evening or yeah. I, I'm picturing it in the evening. I guess it could be not evening yet, but then it seems like the foolish ones would have just forgotten their lamps. Also. Right. Cause the, even the foolish ones have lamps. <laughs> <laughs> right. have lamps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're told that there's five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And what distinguishes those here is the, the foolish ones took their lamps, but no oil. And then mm-hmm. the 
wise took lamps and like a little container of oil. So I'm just like, I'm just trying to picture what's going on here. Like we've got like lamps that are like, like, like a, almost like a torch. Is that how you picture it? Like Mm -hmm. you dip some cloth in a oil and light it on fire and it burns for a while. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I guess I was picturing it smaller than a torch, but it's the same mechanism, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, the idea being that you need to continue to have some oil wetting that cloth or whatever it is, wick. So the foolish ones have enough oil, like, they have en- like their lamps are going to burn for a period of time. Yeah, their then, lamps are lit. And, and then the wise have enough for that same period of time, plus they've got some extra in case mm-hmm. they need it. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just trying to think like, what's the, what is the foolishness of the fools? You know what I mean? Like the foolishness of the fools. This is how I, okay. This is how I'm reading this right now, but I, but it makes me want to be foolish in some ways. <laughs> the, I feel like the foolish ones are, they assume that they're going to go out to meet the bridegroom and he's going to be there pretty soon because that was the plan or that was their expectation. And they don't really think beyond the moment that they're in. Like the moment that they're in is it's dark and we're going to meet the bridegroom. So bring a lamp and go meet the bridegroom. Right. And he's going to be there. We've got plenty of oil in our lamp to meet him where he said he was going to be and bring him back to the house. Yes, we're we are meeting the need to the moment and this is this is how we understand that things are going to unfold. And then the the other ones are like the, you know, the scouts. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. like boy scouts, girl scouts. Be prepared. Scouts. Yes. Oh yeah, be prepared. And it's like so this is like the there's a, a teenager in my synagogue who who says that she always she has what is known among her group of friends as the mom bag, which is like the person who has Baby wipes and tampons and gum and yeah. like deodorant and like whatever thing someone might need. Yeah. She's always got it in her bag and you always want to have a friend like that. Yeah. So here the wise are the ones that bring the mom bags and the fools I are the ones. I think the wise are the ones who bring the mom bags who are like, we don't actually know. We don't really know how this is going to unfold. And so we'll just, you know, th- they bring the just in case stuff. Yeah. I'm definitely a foolish bridesmaid. (laughs) (laughs) Like in the living of my life, I often say that like I strategize my life about how everything's going to fit together. Right. And so I like, I have the right number of things and the right, you know, like assuming everything goes perfectly. (laughs) Right. Like, so here's the, like the 10 things I can do today and I can get them all done as long as nothing goes wrong. But the problem is something always goes wrong. And so then I'm like left scrambling all of the time. I do not have a mom bag. I'm often improvising things because I don't, because I'm not ready. And so, I don't know. I just like, you You always empathize with the characters you're not supposed to empathize with. I do. And, and I'm I'm empathizing with, the, with these bridesmaids too. Just like, I mean, the bridegroom said he was going to be there at whatever time. So he yeah. should have been there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, something, it's something. Like, I, I did not need to bring extra oil, but... I mean, it makes me think of, again, these are like such modern situations, but like the amount of extra stuff you bring with you if you're traveling with a small child, 
Like, how many outfits might they poop through? Yes. I don't know. You know, like how <laughs> – but all of a sudden, it's your job because you're the parent. Yeah. And you have to do it. Yes. And in the really tiniest way, going back to this sort of wedding bridesmaid metaphor, but also in a, in a totally anachronistic way – when I have been someone's maid of honor, I know that I have I have to do the extra mental work of like oh, I don't yeah. want anything to fall on the bride. Yes. Like to become her problem. And so I it is my job to hold all the possible anxieties. Yeah. You know, and like foresee everything. And so again, like that's a really modern, you know, <laughs> like yeah. they don't need safety pins in the ancient world or whatever. But um to do the extra work of anticipating what ends might come. But what's interesting for me in both of those personal examples for me is that it always involves someone else. Like if I'm just taking care of myself, I don't usually worry about it. Like I don't, Oh yeah. I can just figure it out as it goes. But if I'm responsible for this small child or I'm responsible for this bride or I'm responsible for whatever, then I feel that like, Okay, you actually can't just stay in the present moment. You have to go to the anxious place and anticipate all the bad things that yeah. might happen so you'll be prepared yeah. for them, which I feel like is actually not super Matthew-y because didn't he also tell us not to be anxious at some point? Yeah, do not worry about tomorrow, what you shall eat yeah. or what you shall wear. Mm-hmm. Worry a little bit. Yeah. Not a, not about what you should eat or what you – I don't know. I don't want to, like, mix all the things together. So never mind. Put that aside for now. But <laughs> that's how it's – that's how it strikes me as a modern person sort of reading this is that there are situations where you do actually need to worry about possible scenarios. I really like that. That that helps me a lot. That So maybe the foolishness is that they are – yeah, they're not anticipating possible things that they might need to adapt to. They're just assuming everything's going to go perfectly right. And I, I mean, you're totally right. Like I, as a, and I'm still adjusting to this as a parent, even though I've been a parent for five years now, but like I live my life kind of by the seat of my pants and I'm just improvising all the time and you can't improvise, you know, <laughs> you end up having to like Lion King your poopy baby in the parking lot of the Denny's. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It really ups the ante there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so not that that actually happened, uh, to me, that was just a totally, <laughs> totally made up story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Now, the thing that gets me about this story is that they all fall asleep. I know. And I don't know. I like when you sort of start into this story, you think like, oh, the worst thing you could do in this story is fall asleep. But all of them, the wise and the foolish bridesmaids, all fall asleep. So I don't know. Like, yeah. Somehow I kind of like that, but it's not about you got to be awake all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that it's, it's in there. And, you know, when I first got to that, I was like, oh, is there going to be, is that going to get them in trouble? You know, is there going to be judgment on that? Although the fact that it already called some of them wise and the wise ones fell asleep too, I was like, maybe there's not going to be judgment, but it does. Yeah. It, it's, I feel like it softens a little bit, the sort of ratcheted up pay attention to all the possible dangers and all the different outcomes. It sort of is like, and you live in a human body mm-hmm. <laughs> and human bodies have human needs mm-hmm. and one of them is sleep. Yeah. So yeah, at least it doesn't seem to be any problem with it here. Yeah. 
So it's not that you're having to fight the sort of natural tendencies of being a person in the world, but you're having to account for like them somehow. Like, yeah. yeah. I want to know, I mean, maybe we're not supposed to ask this question, but I want to know what's up with this bridegroom. Like that dude should have been there. He said he was going to be there. I know. Making those poor bridesmaids fall asleep in the woods or wherever they are. Like that just seems like bad etiquette. And yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe we're not supposed to be thinking about that, but I kind of want to know where, like, where's, where is that guy? Let's assume that he stopped on the side of the road to help an elderly person with a flat tire. Yeah. <laughs> we don't, we do not know why the Messiah tarries. I mean, the bridegroom, we're definitely just reading this as the bridegroom. We don't <laughs> yeah. Know why. Yeah. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's you know, like I'm, you know, wanting to stay, of course, in the register of like the story as it's told here. And also it's, it feels like it will register really different once we flip it into the yeah. other register. But yeah, no, I don't, it's, it's rude. It's rude to be that late. I mean, to be fair, Matthew has already tipped his hand or Jesus has at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, like he's already given us the register, right? But yes, I still yes. do think it's worth trying to think through like we do the story as a story. Mm-hmm. This is one of the places where I like the interpretation that the bridegroom has gone to the bride's house to get the bride and bring her back to his house, even though it introduces some other complications as we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, at least sort of at the level of story, like, Maybe there's still some negotiation to be done or maybe, you know, like to finalize the ketuva or whatever, or maybe um, the bride is yet getting ready for the wedding. And so like why the tarrying is because like stuff happens in this mm-hmm. process and it's complicated. And so he couldn't necessarily just control. Like if he's just coming from his own house, then you're like, you should have yeah. started getting ready a little earlier or whatever. Yeah. But I think, so I like that because it just, because it kind of gives me a place to hang my hat in terms of why the yeah. delay. Yeah, yeah. But I also think there's something instructive about just like, we don't know why the delay. And like part of the issue is these bridesmaids assume there wouldn't be a delay. And so it, it was totally reasonable that he would have been there on time. Yeah. I was talking no, I think to, that's, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I just was going to say, I think that's right. And I think it's important, you know, in this parable, as generally, it's important that there's just stuff you don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on, whether it's, you know, working out negotiations related to the wedding or signing the ketubah or finding the right witnesses to sign it, or whether it's, you know, the proverbial stopping to help someone else along right. the road. And so that delays you, like, or or any number of other things. Like, and we just don't have access to that. We don't right. actually know. We don't know why. Right. I was talking to the pastor of Canvas Community, where I'm the theologian now, and he was ta- he was talking about that. Like he works with people who are very like punctual. Like you've got to start this thing at nine o'clock or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, my life, I spend with people who are homeless, and like they don't have a always know what time it is, and like yeah. they do that sort of thing where they're just like, I was on my way to meet you, but then I saw my friend that needed something, so I helped them, or I. I ran into somebody I haven't seen for a while. And so I talked to them or like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's only a certain mindset in which punctuality is the be all and end all. And there's a whole yes. lot of mindsets in which, you know, things I got to help somebody or, you know, somebody's ox fell in a pit and I had to help them out or whatever it is. 
in any case, our bride, our bridegroom has been delayed and our bridesmaids have fallen asleep. And then there is the cry that comes out at midnight. So we're deep. I mean, we're deep into the darkness here, like well past the time when you ought to be presumably starting a wedding. And then the cry comes out. Here comes the groom. Let's go meet him. I don't know. That just like, I'm trying to think like what my reaction would be if I were the bridesmaid who had fallen asleep. I'd probably be like, it's midnight, dude. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's exciting. Let me sleep. No, this would be very exciting. I am the grumpy parent of two small children. And so anything that disturbs my sleep in the middle of the night, I'm like, no, you have to imagine you are a young child and it's like, you've been waiting for Santa. Oh yeah. I like that. This is Santa groom. (laughs) Now we are in a whole new world, but yes. Okay, never mind. It's not Santa, Santa Groom. But the, yeah, like this most anticipated thing, you didn't even realize you fell asleep. I think they're delighted to be woken up. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'll try to disinhabit my um, grumpy grumpy dad and, and inhabit my <laughs> gleeful teenage girl. <laughs> Good, you, you do that. I have not accessed that side of myself in, in a while. Hello, fellow Bible worms. My name is Amy Marie Epp. I'm a pastor at Seattle Mennonite Church in Seattle, Washington. I support Bible worm at the early worm level, $8 a month, and I consider that professional budget dollars very well spent. What I especially love about being a patron at this level is having access to those podcast episodes a week early, since I'm often working that far ahead on sermons or on worship prep. Also, by the way, I love the sticker, which I put on my water bottle immediately. Amy and Bobby's insight and wisdom have become an invaluable resource for me. I look forward every week to hearing them chew through that biblical text together with curiosity and with humor. It feels like I'm a part of the conversation. That's why I wanted to support them in making Bible Worm possible. It still feels like a gift each week to have that Patreon episode land in my inbox. I hope all of you who are listening will also consider becoming patrons. And now, back to this week's episode. Okay. All right. Anything else we should say about this this first section of the parable? Um, I don't think so. Let's see what happens next. All right. Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, no, because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding. Then the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert because you don't know the day. Or the hour. I really liked the inflection of your voice when you were like, I have a better idea. Why don't you go to the store and buy your oil? Yeah. I know what you should do. <laughs> it's because I was raised in the South and I know how to say. No, like, that was good. I was I, like, is that Bobby's inner teenage girl? I don't yeah. know. You go yourself. <laughs> so, I mean, you pointed to the wise bridesmaids. I don't know. I can't decide how I feel about them. Like, 
one of the things that was shared in the in the Bible Worm Collaborative, which I think is exactly right, is like there's a world in which these bridesmaids are like, oh no, you ran out of oil. Like, yes, let's share. Let me share my oil with you, or let me share my lamp with you. Like, so I don't know. Like, I don't think we're supposed to read them that way. Like, I think we're supposed yeah. to read them like, oh, those guys were prepared, and so they they got to go to the party. Yeah. Yeah, I find this story is very challenging for me in that way because if this story were trying to model for us how to behave in community, first of all, we want to ask, who are we supposed to be learning from (laughs) in this story? But, I mean, I feel pretty confident that if this were trying to teach us how to behave in community— You'd either share your oil or you would walk arm in arm or you would do some, you would not just say no, too bad, so sad. (laughs) Right. But that's not the point of this story. Like this is where it gets tricky because, you know, like, you know, the oil is not just oil. Yeah. But in, in the sort of earthly register of this, where this is just something happening on earth, Yeah, it really got me sort of asking the question, who are we supposed to identify with in this story? Yeah. What did you come up with? Well, I I think in this story, maybe, maybe identify with is the wrong thing. Maybe it's learn from. It seems like we're supposed to learn from the foolish people. Like this Mm. story is designed to tell us something important about what happens if we don't mm. take like think ahead and go through the extra work of you know yeah. not just thinking about what we need in our moment and assuming we'll be able to improvise later but like taking on that sort of extra layer of responsibility that I mostly only feel when there's another person involved yeah. saying like no but even just for yourself you have to you have to think more that way yeah no, that's helpful. So it's not so it's it's not necessarily commending not sharing your light as much as it is warning you to make sure you have enough oil for your own light. I think I think so. Yeah. Bobby, there's a story in the Talmud that this made me think of and I don't know if I don't know. I want to tell you this story and see if you think it has relevance. Okay. Okay. So it's this it's an ethical dilemma. Two people are lost in the desert and they have, you know, one per, one water bottle, one thing of water. There is not enough water to get both people to civilization. Mm. Oh my goodness. This is in the Talmud? It's in the Talmud. Wow. So who gets the water or do they share it, in which case they will both die in the desert? Right. So one rabbi in this uh, argument... Ben Petora says the solution is to share the water, even though you're both going to die, because both dying is better than living and watching the other person die. Mm. And the other mm. rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, who, spoiler alert, is always right. Whenever Rabbi <laughs> Akiva says anything, you know that his opinion is going to be the one that carries the day, says the owner of the water should drink the water. Mm. And he cites this this verse from Leviticus 25, which is that your brother may live with you, meaning like the goal is for your brother to live with you, not for your brother to live and you to die. And we have 
an obligation to care for our own lives. And of course, we have an obligation to other people too. But if only one person can drink the water, it should be the person who brought the water. Oh, that's really interesting. I thought Rabbi Akiva was going to say, you should give the water to the other person. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's better to die knowing that your your friend is going to live than to live knowing that your friend died. It's a really hard story. I mean, it's a really yeah. hard ethical dilemma. I mean, I, but it is. And I mean, I think that's so interesting because, you know, Akiva was more or less contemporary with Jesus. And so these sorts of stories are circulating in the Jewish world. And, you know, it's helpful because like to me, there's two questions here. One is like, if you just assume that what they were going to do is share the oil for their lamps. Yeah. And if there's not enough oil to get you back to the house, if you split it, then within what you end up with is everybody just ends up in the dark. And then to me, that's parallel to the story that you're telling about there's not enough water to get everyone where they need to go. There's not enough oil to get everyone where they need to go. Yeah. And then that ends up being sort of the same. It's better for those who are prepared to make it back while the others get lost in the dark than it is for everybody to get lost in the dark. Right. We would have to accept the premise that you can't share it. Yeah. Like that somehow this, not everything can be shared. We can yeah. share so much in community, but there's a certain point at which everyone has to have their yeah. own. That's just really, that whole thing sits really uncomfortably with me. Like Rabbi Akiva's advice yeah. sits really uncomfortably with me, which is I'm having to reflect. Maybe I need to talk to my therapist about like why that is exactly Because I think I'm oriented the other way, or at least like if I was actually in the desert with an actual bottle of water and an actual other person, (laughs) I don't know what I would decide. But in my hypothetical desert with my hypothetical bottle of water, I would want to try to do what I could to make sure the other person could survive. But so Akiva sits uncomfortably with me in a similar way that this parable sits uncomfortably with me. Yes. And I think this this Rabbi Akiva story sits uncomfortably with many modern Jews too. Mm -hmm. Like this is... And also many modern Jews who don't actually, who haven't, haven't ever actually had to choose between their own life and someone else's. Exactly. exactly. So it's very abstract. <laughs> yeah. It's very abstract. The difference, of course, in this parable, like, is so there's one option is to share the oil, in which case everyone ends up in the dark because you only had half enough oil. Right. The other option is just to like, hey, why don't you walk next to me and I'll hold right. my light. Right. Right. And that is where I, I just don't understand why in this parable they don't they don't do that. Right. But maybe maybe that's just we just need to like let that not be an option for whatever reason. Otherwise, we're, yeah. we just get stuck. I think I think that's where I landed is that for whatever reason, that's not an it's not an option. Yeah. They, yeah. I, I think that's sort of the real juice that I got out of the Akiva story for me is that we have to imagine a universe in which this resource cannot be shared. Yeah. I think that's right. That that makes a lot of sense to me. So the light that it produces, it's like holding a flashlight and I, no, I don't know. There's, it's just not, there's, because it doesn't a, make sense. Like if you walk next to someone holding light, you can use the light. Like especially that. if there's five people holding <laughs> right, five there lights. It yes. doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I'm going to yeah. imagine it cannot be shared. I also think it's funny that these uh, brides, the bridesmaids say like, hey, it's midnight. Why don't you go to the oil store and see if you can buy some oil? Because like, <laughs> unless there were like 24-hour the 24 depots hour oil or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So basically they're not going to be able to come until it's light in the morning anyway. I mean, the parable seems to think they could go get some oil in the middle of the night. So maybe, maybe if you looked sad enough, somebody would give you some oil or something. Yeah. So the groom comes while the five are away at the oil store. Yeah. And they just go on to the party. They don't wait like, hey, our friends are going to be right back with their oil. They just like, it's time for the wedding. And so the wedding needs to get started. I guess you can't delay any longer. Yeah, I guess. When the bridegroom is ready, it's time. It's time for the wedding. So, so they shut the door. And so now we've got this insider-outsider thing, which reminds you of the wedding banquet that we saw last time where somebody got shut out of the... I mean, they got mm-hmm. into the wedding and then got tossed out. Mm-hmm. But there's this sort of inside-outside. The, the five bridesmaids then make it to the wedding, finally. Like, they went and got their oil. They made it to the wedding. They say, please let us in. And he says, I don't know you. And shuts the door again. I mean, it doesn't actually say he shut the door. One assumes that that's what happens next is they end up getting stuck on the outside. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say they ever open the door. I picture them right. like yelling through the door. Oh, I got you. You're like, let us in. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. So... So this also bugged the Bible Worm Collaborative, I think in a good way, in the right way, which is we just a few weeks ago had the parable of the vineyard where the the point seemed to have been no matter how late you get to the work site, you still get to go to the vineyard. This parable seems to say, if you get there late, sorry, I'm just not going to open the door to you. And and also this guy is just like, it's pretty rude (laughs) to be like... Like, I don't know, like these five women were important enough to somebody to be part of the wedding party. And now he's just like, sorry, I don't know you. Like, I, it just sits, it sits wrong with me. Yeah. Can you help me in any way there? <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought up the workers in the vineyard story. I think, cause I think I brought that up last week, maybe too. And again, like part of what I like about all these parables is that they're, they, they are, in some surface level in conflict with each, with each other, which just yeah. underscores that this is the, it, the kingdom's complicated people mm-hmm. in the, in the vineyard story. No, we could read it as no matter how late they got there, everyone got the same. Yeah. But we could also read it as our sense of time and fairness and how things are supposed to work are not actually do not carry the day. And that's part of what I see here too. Like, but they did make it back. So why can't they get in now? Because, <laughs> because that's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, because, because the time has come, because you can't predict when the, the moment at which everything's going to change. And it might be the moment is later than you think it will be. And that irritates you because you started your work too early. Uh-huh. Or it might be that the Ooh, moment that. is earlier than you think it's going to be. And that sucks for you because you're outside the wedding and the door is closed. But it just, I mean, it's very like anxiety provoking in me personally. But like <laughs> yeah. you you have to be prepared all the time because you don't know. There's no schedule for this. I like love you can't that. game Amy. the system. Yeah. That helped me so much on that like. Yes, the vineyard story, one way of reading that is the time might be later than you think. And here the, the time is later than you think it's going to be too, Yeah, true. actually. 
And it's both later and earlier. <laughs> because right. Like you thought it was going to be, you know, at eight o'clock and instead it's at two o'clock in the morning. But once it's done, it's done. I like that. And so you can't, you just don't know. Sooner or later, you can't be upset about it in either direction. Therefore, you always need to, to be ready. That, I, I can't, I'm not sure which register we're in right now, but it, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That um, line where they knock on the door and Jesus says, Jesus says, <laughs> I know what register I'm in now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I think in this parable, Jesus is the bridegroom. No. Yeah. <laughs> did, that, did that blow your mind? Yeah, mind blown. So if we shift registers, which we have been easing our way toward. So this is now a parable of the arrival of the kingdom in its fullness, which is how we, you know, explain at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like, because this is not the thing that's happening just now, but is the time yet to come. That line where they say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And he says, I don't know you. Reminds you of Matthew 7. 21 to 23, where Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Mm. but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me. So it's interesting. Like This is a sort of narrative Mm. version of that, where people who think they belong in the party are knocking on the door saying, Lord, Lord, let me in. And Jesus says exactly, I don't know you. I, I think there, I don't know you. I don't read that as like, I never met you before. But yeah. I read that more as like, w- what What do we have to do with each other? Or like, you don't have any part in what's going on in here. Yeah. You have thoughts about, about that? Like, about that? I mean, I... I agree. I agree with you that it's not so much like I've never met you in my life as, as you are not part of this next thing that is happening. Yeah. Like it's, it's like when something happened, like once they went into the, wherever it was, they went and closed the door, the wedding banquet and closed the door. Something, you know, like we've talked about a wedding as like the beginning of something new and like a new family unit and a new foundational element for whatever's next. And it's, <laughs> I don't actually think this, but I, it's a, well, maybe I do like this sort of, not like memory erasing, but like something new has started and you are not, you're not in it. Yeah. Like, and so by calling to the bridegroom through the door, it's like, remember, remember the connection that we have. And because of that connection, open the door. Yeah. But because something has shifted, yeah. they don't have that connection anymore. Like it's, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to, it, it feels almost like this like metaphysical change has happened. Yeah. Matthew has had this sort of sense in which people who s- seem to be on the inside end up on the outside. Mm. So like mm-hmm. last last week, that guy who made it into the banquet but then didn't have the right clothes and got kicked out or the weeds and the wheat that were all growing together and you couldn't tell which was which. But yeah. then time shifted and it was harvest time and now suddenly there is a sorting. This passage of Lord, Lord, mm-hmm. when did like let it, uh, 
Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This passage that we're reading today, like they were actually part of the wedding party and they thought that somehow guarantees them admission to the next thing. But in fact, you had to do with the one more thing, like you had to actually be ready. Right. They were part of the wedding party, but as part of the wedding party, you have to have that extra element of like taking responsibility for what's going to happen. Like you can't just ride the coattails of the wedding party and they didn't do that. Right. I am somebody who will, I do things like this from time to time where I sort of like, I make it to the stage before the thing. I, I can't think of a good example right now, but like, I just sort of assume that the outcome is already determined. And so like, mm-hmm. it's going to turn out the way that, that I like imagine. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then I don't do whatever the next thing is where you've got to like, oh, uh, you know, it would be better if I had an actual example instead of just like <laughs> retelling the parable and just being like, yeah, like I totally yeah, do I that. Yeah, I do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I do do that sometimes <laughs> where I just assume that things are guaranteed and then I realize they're not. And like here it's about sort of the kingdom of heaven. So you don't want to mess that one up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Amy, I was teaching, you said this makes you anxious. I was teaching Matthew in one of my classes and one of uh, just a few days ago. And one of my students said this idea that you have to, do stuff constantly makes me really anxious. And I was like, it, 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 yes, it does. And this is actually, I think Martin Luther's problem that started the Protestant Reformation was the sense in which like, can you ever know that you are doing enough to guarantee that you are part of the wedding banquet? And to which his answer was no. And so his solution was, well, but God is gracious, which, you know, would suggest something like, if, you know, this bridegroom would, is going to open the door for you. But Matthew's bridegroom not does not open the door. It yeah. doesn't. Yeah. So that Matthew has ha- has had all the way through a little bit of a, it's not exactly works righteousness, but it is that being invited to the party requires some things of us. And like the list has been kind of long and complicated. Okay. This is, this is really dumb, but I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm going to say it. Have you ever been on one of these like group tours Like, um, the first time I went to Israel, it was like a big group tour. And so it's like, they tell you, you have two hours to walk around this place and then come back and meet the bus here at this time. Right. So what I was thinking was in those situations, which many adults don't like, because you have to give up a lot of control. Yeah. A, you cannot be late. That bus will leave you. It could leave you. Right. And B, the bus might be late. Like you have to be on time, but you're still not controlling the outcome of things, Mm -hmm. which is super frustrating. And also like I recognize moments in my life that feel like that. And it's just, I can be, it can drive me crazy or I can get to a point where it's just sort of like, there's only part of this equation that is yours to worry about. Yeah. You have to take care of that part. No one else can do it for you. There are real consequences if you don't, and you're not driving the bus. So, like, at a certain point, you just have to let it go. Because this is totally one of those, like, hurry up and wait situations where, like, if the bridegroom hadn't been late in the first place, they would have had enough oil, and they would have, like, I don't know. But it is this really sort of funny in-between space of, like, what we we are responsible for. Like, what is ours to take care of and what is not ours to take care of. And this is saying there's definitely stuff that's ours. Yeah. This, yeah, this story is more on the side of there, there, there's 
there's stuff that, that we have to take care of. I think that's exactly right, Amy. That's really well said. If I'm a character in the story, I know that I should have had more lamp oil. Mm -hmm. If I am a person in the world for which this story is a lesson about something else, what is the oil? I got to have extra oil for my lamp. Mm. How do I do that, do you think? You know what I think is so ironic? I think that one of the ways you would have extra metaphorical oil in your lamp is to give more of your literal oil to <laughs> for your lamp to other people. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, last time we talked about that he's not in his wedding clothing as right. somehow like being dressed in righteousness or something like that. I think it's the same kind of thing. I mean, I think these are your these are your like truly righteous things that you do in the world, not just your religious observances and not just your yeah. things you do when people are watching, but the, the good you do in the world. Yeah. It reminds me of the passage back in Matthew 5 that we talked about where Jesus says, you are the light of the world mm-hmm. and don't hide your light under a bushel and, and oh, so on. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a certain kind of life that you live that is uh, both mm-hmm. pleasing to God and also is showing other people how to live. And you've always got to be prepared to do that, even if you have to do it longer than you thought you were going to have to do it. Yeah. Oh, I love that, Bobby, because it adds to, for me, this element of like, yes, you do what is pleasing to God, but part of what is pleasing to God is being authentically who you are. Yeah. And so it's not this... Uh, It's not, there's a word for this that I can't think of, but it's not trying to squish yourself down and fit into some mold that's actually not right for you. It is being the best version of yourself in a way that is is mindful of everyone else in the world and caring about everyone else in the world. But it's not, you know, we mentioned before, like they can still sleep. They're in human bodies. You know, God put them in those bodies. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Like (laughs) your body needs to sleep. Yeah. I I, like that. I think that's right. And so then it's not that you can never rest. It is that at any moment you need to be prepared to wake up and relight your lamp. And so that becomes, I mean, in some ways the message of this parable seems very similar as you were mentioning to the one we read last time where we we were basically like your wedding garment needs to be like your second skin. You just always need to have it. This seems similar to me. Like you, you need to be so accustomed to living the kingdom life that when you wake up, you just do it because it's like so in you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So it just needs to become a second nature for you to live out mm-hmm. the way that, that Jesus has been, has been teaching in this gospel. So when the bridegroom shows up at any moment, you've got oil in the tank, so to speak, um, in, your, in your life of righteousness. Yeah. The last line of this thing just makes me laugh because it's, you know, Jesus has told this parable and then he says, therefore, keep alert. Does the NRSV says, doesn't it say like, don't. Keep awake, therefore. <laughs> keep awake, yeah. For you know neither the day nor the hour. Yeah, which I take the point is like the point you were making that the delay, you don't know. It could be right now, it could be later. But the the fact that it says keep awake and then every, everybody in the story was asleep, just just funny to me. I don't. Yeah. Because that wasn't the point of the parable. No. The point of the parable was when you fall asleep, be prepared to wake up. Anyway. Yeah. The, yes. The point of the parable is, um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, whatever you just said. 
<laughs> be prepared. <laughs> be prepared. Yeah, this be prepared. might last be longer ready. than you thought it was going to. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Okay, Amy. So when you think about this parable and what it might speak to our contemporary world and communities of faith, where do you land? You know, Bobby, one of the things I both really appreciate and struggle with in this parable is that the individualness of it. Yeah. You know, and we've talked so much throughout reading the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament about community, community, community. How do we live in community? How do we care for one another? What does it mean to be a community? And really have tried to push against a little bit, or at least I have, this sort of modern Western conception that everyone's in it for themselves. And the thing that matters is pretty much just that you get yourself saved. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever saved means to you. And so I struggle because you can absolutely read this story and come out with that. Like, yep, it's every man for himself and get your own oil. And I also, and so I think, I think we have to be careful in reading this text that it doesn't wind up being that way. Cause I really do think that the way that you get the metaphorical oil is to give away literal oil. (laughs) Mm. Mm. But I also really appreciate how it makes it, it really puts a, a fine point on the idea that there are things we can do and need to do for each other in community and that not, not everything can be shared. And there are things that we have to, we have to feel urgently to do for ourselves and they're not like material things. And so this meta, this parable seems weird because this parable is told in the realm of material things. And that's a little confusing, but to really feel that there is actually no one, there's no one else who's going to be able to get your proverbial house in order in this way. Like it really is you and it is worth doing in the way that it's worth caring for your child and it's worth caring mm-hmm. for your neighbor. And, you know, it's, I think sometimes I need that, that sort of pointedness mm-hmm. in order to feel like that's, that's, uh, I don't know, <laughs> a good use of, of time and energy. I don't know, but it's, it's, I think this is a tricky parable, Bobby, cause it's told in the realm of the material and it's, not about the realm of the material. I think it's tricky. I think that's right, Amy. I'm glad you said that thing about the way to get metaphorical oil is to give away your literal oil a second time because I missed it the first time. And now I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's exactly right. That the oil in this is tending to your neighbor in the ways that Jesus has taught in the Sermon on the Mount and also that Moses has taught in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what the righteousness that is the light for the lamp is. That's really helpful to me. Like, I take your point that it's like sitting a little awkwardly in this parable. That's really helpful to me that ultimately this is about tending to your community, but it's about like what that does for you. Yeah, right. What about you, Bobby? Where What's rising up for you? I started out, Amy, thinking that this is exactly just the same as last week's parable. <laughs> like, why are we talking about it? <laughs> just to tell, just to be perfectly clear. But uh, now I, I, that story that you told from Rabbi Akiva is really mm-hmm. lingering with me and the sort of like. Irritant. It is. <laughs> and I think that's right. At the end of the day, we're responsible for ourselves. I think that's right. And also it irritates me. Yeah. 
the way that I like to read this parable, or at least the way I'm liking to read it right now, is it's it's not that there was one wise bridesmaid who was wise enough to take her oil, but there were five of them. And so I like to think that what happened was that they all got together and they were like, hey, everybody, we need our oil, right? Or maybe one of them was like, ooh, extra oil. And then four of them were like, oh yeah, you're totally right about that. And so they grabbed their extra oil. So I, I like to read a little communal aspect into it. Mm-hmm. And to say, yeah, these these folks were reminding each other maybe to carry their own oil. And so then the other five either were not a part of that conversation or didn't listen to that conversation or, or thought like, oh no, it's fine. And like, I mean, this is true to my experience of community life is that there is only, you can, you can help people and people can help you try to keep your life being the way you want it to be. But there comes a point at which some members of the community just do not come along for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like to show as much grace as I can about that, but I have absolutely shut the door to my church (laughs) <laughs> this might horrify people and told people they can't come in, right? Because like last time you were here, you pulled out a knife or you yelled right. at somebody or you right. did something. There are, there are boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And so I can relate to that closing of the door, even as much as every ounce of me wants to open the door and wants Jesus to open the door. I There's times when the door cannot be opened because someone has not been able to to live the life and... You know, I don't quite know what to I don't quite know what to do with that other than to say this whole theme of we need to live out the righteousness of the gospel as though it is our second skin. We need to always have that sort of extra oil in the tank for the living of the day and that we can help each other remember and call each other like accountable and say like don't forget your oil today, you know, um that there can be a communal aspect of it. I think I think is really important. Yeah. This whole idea that the end of the that the kingdom is going to come in a sudden moment and no matter how much you thought you were prepared you're either going to be prepared or not. That makes me really nervous. I think it's the presbyterian in me that just really wants it to be like there's grace for everyone. Matthew does not quite give us that. And so I I'm torn between saying well that's Matthew and saying well that's the way God really is. And I don't know the right answer there, but when something irritates, you say this a lot, when something irritates me in the Bible, I try to take it seriously because I'm like, why is that irritating me? Yeah. And how can I account for it in my own life? And that's what's irritating me right now is this shutting out. Um, so I landed nowhere just there. <laughs> no, you didn't land nowhere. You, did, you know, while you were talking, Bobby, I was thinking more about the role of community and all of this. And I know we need to wrap up, but. And just was thinking about how how truly, like, what does it really mean to, like, have your oil? Like, what, you know, like to sort of live a life full of righteousness. And, and the thing that makes it not feel like work, the thing that makes it feel normal and easy and you're not going to forget is being surrounded by other people who yes. are doing it. Yes. And that, that's, that's the community. Like, you yeah. can't, if you're trying to do it on your own, it's going to be so hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So if the communal expectation is that we all go out with extra oil, then that just becomes the way we live. Then you we, don't have to think right, about it. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't even think about it. I like that.
All right, Amy, well, next week we're in one of my very most favorite passages, which also ends up with people cast into the outer darkness. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but Matthew 25, 31 to 46, the story of the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Judging goats. Mm-hmm. Never done that before. Yeah, poor little goats. Well, I'll report back on the fate of the um, branch of the God tree next Oh, time. yes. I was so excited about that. All right, Amy. Great conversation. I'll see you next time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters for helping to make this podcast possible. Join us next time when we'll read the story of Jesus separating the nations as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, as told in Matthew 25, 31-46. Until then, keep on digging.